welcome everybody to the, I don't know, I'm going to say the first episode back of Unqualified. It's been over a year since uh, SaberX7 and myself, Joshua R., has mentioned Masters, uh, mentioned a podcast we've been talking about doing one for pretty much that long, but now we finally found something to actually talk about, uh, which is, uh, what, what are we talking about, Kevin? Well, we basically, there was a show that came out recently that piqued both of our interests because it ties into a couple of series of shows that some people may know about, a couple of World War II documentary series called Band of Brothers in the Pacific. And so those same brilliant minds have now graced us with a uh, United States Army Air Force version called The Masters of the Air. Yep. Masters of the Air talks about the 8th bombing, uh, 8th bombing group i'm gonna freaking or make that right uh in world war ii specifically the hundredth it's the eighth army air group it's the hundredth bombing group in that I, I swear to god these things always get confusing me when it comes to the army air corps uh b-17 bombing formations in world war ii and I tell you that uh, some of this show is kind of shocking. Holy fuck. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give you just a brief description of what we saw of the show. Uh, of what we saw so far. Talking about some of the actors, which is Austin Butler is the big, big name here. Who uh, who plays Gail. <laughs> Gail. A stupid name, but I oh crap! I can't really say uh, stupid name. He's a he, he's an actual fucking person. Gail yeah. Clevins. Let's uh, just say let's just be glad that the, the, as generations change, the sort of the names. Yeah, well, Gail Clevins, who's also known as Buck, uh, is played by, as I mentioned earlier, Austin Butler, who, for, for me, the only other thing I known him as is playing Elvis Presley in another uh, biopic film. Then we got Major. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Egan, who they call Bucky. Mm-hmm. I, I, they explained what how, how they got the nicknames, but that's that's nicknamings in World War II. Uh, a couple other notable names, which would have been uh, Anthony Boyle, who plays Lieutenant Crosby, who uh, other films I have seen of him was Tetris, another Apple uh, movie, mm-hmm. as well as... Uh, Barry Keegan, who plays the Lieutenant Curtis Biggle. Biddick. Biddle. Biddick. 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 Why did I say Biggle? Yeah. Biddick. All right, Biddick. And another name that I was found interesting, which is Raph Law, who plays uh, Ken Lemons, a mechanic on the show. Uh, I'm just going to say, what is your initial impression of the show so far? <laughs> the initial impression of the show? It's entertaining. It's a, so far, I really cannot hate on the content of the show or really anything to do with how the story is being told. They're definitely taking a much different approach with this show. Essentially, you know, there there's no training. You know, like boot camp's over. Everybody's already you know done their training, whatnots, and these guys are basically are getting stationed in Greenland and are waiting their orders for their first mission. Essentially, um, yeah. And, you know, uh, going into it, uh, they're trying to, you know, establish a, you know, very, very, uh, 
you know, co cohesion of uh, Brotherhood as, you know, is the standard plot for these show types as part of the formula. It's what grabs people into it. Um, they bring a bunch of group of guys together, do a little bit of training, mm -hmm. and go fight a war. And yeah, all, I, all in all, I'm in, I, I, I enjoy the show. I enjoy the show. I, I, I will concur. My initial impression was uh, high. I, at the same time, I wasn't going in very high, but I have been waiting for this show for almost, what, five years now? Mm -hmm. um, I, they're a little bit of a correction, Saber. They only stopped in Greenland. Their, their base is in England. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but that's fine. They Once they land in England, which I have in my little notebook here. I took some notes because I wanted to be professional, which was Thorpe Abbott's Air Base in England. Uh, it was it was something seeing those B seventeens fly fly in there. Mm. They, we'll, we'll talk we'll, about we'll, that we'll a little. Talk, bit. We'll, we'll talk about and we'll talk yeah. about the the CGI work of this show. But <laughs> we will definitely talk about that a little bit. Um, um, but we'll 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 go straight into talking about episode one. Mm. Uh, episode one starts off with as, as you mentioned earlier them flying into greenland but we also get to talk about uh buck bucky which is john egan's character uh john egan played by caleb turner he actually goes to to fight the war he gets shipped out a lot sooner because he's the uh executive officer of the 100th air group and he gets to see combat before any of his, his men do because of observation flights which he flies to um, and the only impression we get from it is, and what he's told by other pilots is, do not tell his men what he experienced. I to you, Saber. I don't know how you felt about that, but I was like, that's pretty fucking, pretty fucking hardcore right there. It is, and it's it's always been it's a very well known fact in history that. The rookie pilots going into World War II, once they hit their first experience with flak, it shook up everything and all their training basically went out the window. They, yeah. you know, they can do the test flights a million different times, but nothing could prepare them for when they actually engage flak. And for listeners that don't know what flak is, it's not bullets coming up at you, it's explosive shells being shot up at you and exploding right next to the plane trying to cause damage as much as it can by sending out shrapnel with every bit of explosion um because with planes especially back then they are very fragile fragile yeah <laughs> but, I mean, they'll, take, they'll take a hit but they they're... will get tor absolutely torn up yeah uh, a couple things we get to know about this first episode is uh we, obviously we're introduced to our other characters uh, we do learn about Gail Clevin, uh, who's another major in the 100th Air Group, who's called Buck. He is hey, by the, the he Elvis Austin Butler. I didn't know there was other butlers, but that's good to know. Um, as we know about Gail so far, is one, he doesn't drink. He doesn't really gamble, as to I've seen. And on top of that, he is... I guess infatuated with a lovely woman back home who I didn't actually catch her name in the show. And 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 his when he starts going out to combat, 
we get to see how how good of a pilot he really is. Uh, starting out with the crosswind landing in Greenland, which was just a heavy uh, landing, as as anyone who knows how to fly can explain it better than me. When wind's coming from the side of the aircraft, uh, right or left, it doesn't really matter. You have to compensate for that when coming into a landing. And he, I guess it's extremely difficult at this time with the B-17 bomber. But I'm not a pilot. I can't explain it. That's just how I think I think that's how it works. <laughs> we got to see some, some antics with that landing. Uh, uh, the, but let's just go straight to... The, the mission. As as you I've remembered, Saber, the mission starts out with them getting woken up by the ground crew and being led on to uh, led out to their basically get their last supper. Yeah. Which it's... was disgusting, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, it I don't know if you've ever seen powdered eggs before prepared for you, and then just served on a platter, and you know, just absolutely runny with just you know probably the nastiest water ever, and that yeah. that that's essentially what their last meal was going up into high turbulence flight. I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have ate because I knew I would have been throwing it back up later. Well, I mean, we do know a character who does that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, there's other things they eat too. They also eat pancakes, sausage, extra yeah. bacon. Yeah, it, it's it's a I, hearty I, breakfast. I am I am upset that we did not get a, a callback to the reference of uh, army noodles with ketchup. Well, but... that's 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 the, that's the army airborne cyber, saber, but that's different. Well, this is army air force, so Josh. So well, the army air corps. Army uh, air corps. Was... Yeah, sorry. It's probably is still the Air Force, and they probably got most of the money, anyways. I but just yeah. wanted a call back. I don't. I don't care if it didn't happen. I just wanted a call back to it, just to give pay well, homage but, to the to the series that started it all to make well, to make to it, it walk so the rest could run or yes, the yes, Pacific I, for to to stumble across the finish line and hopefully to make this one run. I I do concur. Anyways, we do go to the first mission and. This mission only happens a few days after they land in England. Mm. So the one thing we do know is once they, they're they bombing a submarine pen somewhere in France and they're just told where the target is and go hit it. And the thing about World War II bombers is they flew these B-17s. They flew in the, they flew during the day for the, for the U.S. Mm-hmm. They flew during the day so they try to fly in tight formations. And on top of that, usually they at, at this stage in the war, 1943, they were alone. They didn't have uh, air coverage or with, with fighter aircraft. No fighter escorts, no P-47s, P-51s, nothing to guide them back. But that's also why they were strapped with so much freaking 50 cal that you know it really didn't matter. Yeah, uh, to, be, to be exact, they were strapped with 12 50 cal guns. <laughs> 50 cows. They weren't called the Flying Fortress for nothing, you know? Yeah, they, well, as long as they flew together. Yeah. As, But we also get le- um, notice of another character. His name is Major Veal. He leads the 349th uh, bomber group. 
into this mission. And then the and each bomber group does about six or seven aircraft, and they are flying to go do this mission. But Major Veal's aircraft has a bit of a problem, doesn't it, Kevin? Yes, it does. He loses. He loses both. He loses one engine. Couldn't keep up pace with the rest of the flying group. But this caused a problem for the three forty ninth. They were lagging behind. And I'll let Kevin take this one away of what happens to the three forty ninth after they leave the flak. So after they leave the flak, they are drifting behind. Um, by the way, uh, I don't know if you touched on it already, Josh, but the mission ended up getting scuttled because they had zero visibility. This is the yeah. first mission that they ever flew. They come in, heavy cloud coverage. You know, the lead plane, their job is to keep everybody in tight formation. So they're looking at one group, making sure that they're in formation, and looking at another group, and make sure they're in formation. And of course, they see the 349 that is trailing behind. Um, and. Let's just say that enemy fighters take notice of this little weak, like 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 hyenas going after a pack. They seek they see the weak uh, member of the pack and they go after that one. And that group, the the three forty ninth, they went into cloud coverage with about five or six bombers, five or six, six bombers, aircraft. six bombers, and left with only two. Yeah. <laughs> that's an understatement <laughs> and, um, and here's where I knew the show was definitely going to try to so this show one one thing they're going to try to do and I appreciate the hell of them doing this they're going to show the brutality of what it was like flying in these uh, these freaking flying fortresses one first of all you're taking you're taking gunfire from some heavy caliber rounds 20, 20 millimeter to be exact. Yeah. And let's just say some guys get, get, they get, they get nicked. They get nicked and, and, uh, they don't hold back on what the damage is the result of that too. Um, on top of that too, they highlight a very other big factor that I think that's always overlooked in history of the conditions of what these guys are flying in. And that's the cold. Like, oh yeah. So uh, we tell, we tell you guys earlier that these, these planes, they are made very fragile. And also by that, they're literally one layer of metal and that's it. There's no insulation. There's nothing. And so you always see like these pictures of these guys in these big like air like Air Force jackets with like the sheep wool on it and everything like that. That's so that they can stay warm. They're also heated. Um <laughs> so these guys are flying in these like I think I think they said it was like negative fifty. When they're negative up there, 50 degrees at uh, 25,000 feet. Yeah, it's negative 50 degrees in paper mache uh, bombers. And they, they, they talk to a point like, like this guy, he's out, not because he got hit. He pissed himself and the pee is now stuck to his freaking ass. Like, he pissed, well, that and when he was in the ball turret, this uh, he got, he got, fought, he got frostbite because the uh, ball turret shield had cracked from flak gun uh, fire. And he, there's, he's just getting blasted with his cold air. And so now he then he developed frostbite. He pissed his pants. The pee, the pee freeze to his skin. So he's dealing with a whole bunch of different issues. Another guy, he grabs a gun and he goes like, ah, my hands. You would think that he does that because like, oh, the gun's overheating. He must have burnt his hands. No. He grabbed ice cold metal that's at negative 50 degrees, probably even colder just from the windshield alone on the surface of that metal and basically gave himself uh, cold burns. Oh. 
I thought that was Frost, uh, that he burned his hands from the gunfire, but that could be different. I No, because when, when, when he goes back to the medical tent, they had the conversation, it was like, I, I, I can't believe I grabbed that freezing gun with my bare hands. Oh, I guess I missed that. Yeah. I watched, and I watched it twice, by the way. Um, so there's nice details that they are incorporating because essentially a lot of people don't realize this, the flying the flying fortress was one of the most dangerous jobs in World War Two. Yep. They and they had the doctrine of that time was these guys are so heavily gunned, they can just go and defend themselves. That was proven wrong very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the hundredth air group found that out on their very first mission. Yep. Because they went up with 19 aircraft to do this bombing mission. They returned with 15, losing four. Oh, but- sorry. And to put perspective, too, the, the 349th, they didn't die. Like, those four bombers didn't die to, like, a squadron of planes. It took two fighters to do that to them. It took two yep. fighters to knock out four bombers. Yeah. took two fighters, took out the pilots. <laughs> wow. Uh, they, uh, they really... They really shot them the fuck up. Yeah. Um, uh, we don't. They don't know if they parachuted nothing. We don't know if they were all killed in action or some are missing in action, possibly in captivity. But as we do know, at this very first time flying out there, they lost four aircraft, four four forts, mm-hmm. thirty men, and it's day one mm-hmm. for basically their their mission time there. It was their wake up call, and. Yeah. Sure was, and this is important because, like, you because, like, there there is a thing about like work, like in work culture, you know, you want to like give like the new guys like a heads up sometimes so that they're better off at their job when you know than what you were at, at one point. But there's you know there's something about war that if you warn somebody about it, they're going to be timid of going into it, and they you put them at higher risk of not getting the job done because they're too timid of what to expect. Yep. So, once they land, <laughs> yeah, once they land, they they have that now that description of war, and it was something that Austin Butler's character asked his friend John Egan Bucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, why he asked him why didn't you tell me? And when when he when he said that, he's like, can you? He asked him nonchalantly, "Can you describe it to me?" He's like, he could not. Mm-hmm. The other thing that actually shocked me, which I didn't know, was after these missions, these men have to go. Well, men, they're boys before they even went up there, but these men had to fly, go do interrogations of what they saw. Mm-hmm. I thought that was extremely interesting. I didn't know that was a thing they did. Yeah, but well, they were interrogated. I mean, huh? yeah, no, keep going ahead. Go ahead. But they, which leads into episode two, they're interrogated like. Like they were, they just committed murder. Mm-hmm. They want to know everything they saw. How many men got out of the 349th aircraft? How uh, how many uh, aircraft did they see? How many shots fired? How, what what went around you? Stuff like that. Where in the heat of the moment, you probably wouldn't even remember. Let alone try to be uh, interrogated right after it happened. Maybe it was fresh. Maybe it helped them learn if how many crews were able to um, get out. They can keep account of who's dead and who's alive, but man, that must have—that's probably another shocker that happens after getting, getting out of there. Uh, but leading into episode two, uh, post mission, they 
they end up going like it's it's not like nothing has happened, but they all have to cope with it in a different way. And some men drink, mm-hmm. some men uh, try to find religion, and in our case, in uh, Major Egan, his character, he ends up being demoted, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> showing up drunk because the command, the original commanding officer of the Hundredth Air Group ends up having an ulcer and is replaced by a new uh, a new commander and he demotes him because he shows up to the meeting drunk. Yep. So as we get along, we get to know that John Egan, nothing against his char- uh, character, is pretty much a drunk. Yep. Party animal. <laughs> so that creates like this, you know, a familiar, and I think they're, I think what, you know, what this shows and what they're trying to do, they're, they're, Kind of like I think they're gonna try to simulate the formula of Band of Brothers. So they're starting first with your two main guys, like your two higher ups. So in Band of Brothers, you had Winners and you had Nixon. You know, you had the you had the goody two shoes. You know, religious or I don't know about really, but the goody two shoes doesn't drink. You know, guy who's gonna probably end up becoming like a very high ranking official. He's gonna basically lead these guys into victory and keep them alive. But that's not the other. And then you have the comedic, quote unquote, comedic relief uh, alcoholic in Bucky. So Buck and Bucky. And so you basically have the same dynamic that you have with Banner Brothers. I I have to look more into it to see if this was their dynamic or if this is something that they came up with to try to help create a better connection with the characters that they lost with the Pacific. Um, yeah. Well, I, I I have my gripes because you know I like the Pacific a lot. Yeah. Um, but but I do I do concur. There is, and I will mention something that happens in episode two that strongly reminded me of episode of Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. what's it? What's an interesting thing that this episode two shows, and of course we have to see how the rest of the series goes. But I assume it's very similar to how it how it was, is that it definitely shows this dynamic that these guys may have had the toughest jobs, but I think I much have rather been a flying fortress like crewman than I would have been, you know, a guy in the like a hundred first airborne. Reason why is no. okay. The reason why is, and again, this has to continue on, and I have to see how it goes. But essentially, these guys at the end of their at the end of the mission, they get to come back, they get to relax, they get a kickback, and you know, wait till their next mission detail comes. It's not like these guys are going out flying and doing mine runs every single day. Uh, I mean, I yeah. Well, their planes have to get fucking repaired. Exactly. But so because they're shot up. These but, aircraft are shot the fuck up. But yeah, so basically, you know, these guys, the beginning the beginning of the second episode, like Josh was saying, was that, you know, they come back for their interrogation. So, you know, get a breakdown of what the mission was. Obviously, they're trying to learn because forever, um, the British, and this is something that, you know, was a nice little educational moment. There's a moment um, before, was it before the second mission? Yeah, before, before the second mission, yeah, before, they were talking about it at a bar. Yeah, so before the second mission, um, they're stationed in England like we talked about. So they're in a bar. So the United States Air Force is in the bar, and there's some RAF guys, Royal, uh, Royal Air Force guys from the British Army in the bar as well. And 
you know, they, the British guy's like, you Yanks are basically idiots because you guys do buy and runs during the day. It's smarter to do it at night because they can't see you that way. And this is what the British have basically developed after four years of war with Germany. You know, this is what their strategy has been. Um, it works. It works, but it's also doesn't work. Um, essentially what, you know, the argument was for the United States was the reason why they're doing it during the day, and they mentioned this show, is that they want to see what they're hitting. So they refer to that as precision daytime bombing. When you're yeah. bombing at night, you really don't see anything, so you're basically just sending out stuff, hoping to hit your target. And obviously you're going hit, to hit something, but you're probably not hitting that factory that you're hopefully trying to target. You're not hitting that train line that you maybe need to hit. You're not, you know... You know, you're basically bombing everything around and scaring the piss out of everybody and definitely probably causing casualties, but you're not hitting the target. Nope, they are not hitting the target whatsoever. But there is something about the strategic bombing from the U.S. side, too. Mm -hmm. You are hitting things. Mm -hmm. There's that on. But as the very first mission shows, that being very accurate on your shots means that you could send bombing groups to go fly, but they don't hit anything. Mm-hmm. But they still lose men. Yep. So it's it's like, will you drop your bombs or not? Now, in that case, you, we do have to mention something about the American bombers. And this is something do, they do mention, is what these bombers were using, which is the Nordic bomb site. And I, I'm not a big, I'm not big onto that type of history and mechanical stuff. But from what I do understand, the Nordic bomb site is, one, it controls your aircraft when you're flying. the bombardier has control giving him ample time to adjust his sight to the target so he can hit it was it 100% accurate? probably not but it hit his target that's that's why carpet bombed the whole fucking thing Mm -hmm. but but that was one of the most closely guarded secrets of the war except for except for you know the Enigma machine when we cracked the codes and the atomic bomb. And that was clearly stated in, in the show, saying how deadly these, these bomb sites were during the day. Yeah, they might have been sitting targets, but they hit their fucking target. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the United States at this point in the war, I mean, D-Day showed anything of that, is that they, you know, are... They're accepting, they know that casualties are going to happen. Not saying that all sides don't, but this war was a matter of, like, Casualties are going to happen. It's not like today, you know, today in today's conflicts, you know, they, they, every mission goes in with the understanding that they want to walk away with zero casualties. In World War II, casualties were expected. They fought in mass numbers and they knew that there was people not coming back. And that type of strategy is, you know, something that makes that generation the best because they, Everybody understood the strategy. Everybody knew that they were going into the risk of not coming back home or coming back to the base and stuff like that. Um, so they knew that this had to get done. They knew they had to go out and hit these targets. They knew there was a high chance of none of them coming, of some of them not coming home. But they knew that it's a important way of fighting the war. Yep. Which which ends up leading to the end of the second episode. Oh. There's one thing I do want to mention, as we will describe, because we are planning on doing weekly of these of each episode. We'll try not to spoil too much of each episode, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but be warned, there will be spoilers. 
But the end of this episode, uh, they had completed this mission. One of the bombers was hit. Uh, not hit, like not like destroyed or anything. But they were ca- hit with flak. <laughs> it, they caught flak. Yeah, they were hit with flak. They protected the bomber as best they could until it made a crash landing in Scotland. Um, which I will talk about more of that landing in just a minute. But as we start coming into realizing how much of these aircraft take damage and how much we see characters get lost, which they show, they, these characters keep depressing different the, 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 tra- the trauma they've seen. And one of the characters does get promoted from being, from puking in the back to uh, now he's leading the group through bombing missions. Yet, once they're done playing their games and you know getting rest while their their aircraft are getting repaired, England gets bombed at night by the Germans. Mm-hmm. And this is why I kept mentioning that. This does have a callback to Band of Brothers, mm-hmm. because as they're sitting in that in that trench watching the city get bombed, and both uh, Buck and Bucky are talking about their their lives and why Buck, who doesn't gamble or drink, talks about his father who does gamble and drink, uh, and that's probably why he doesn't do that. I get I get a call to seeing how Gale was looking at the bombing like how Winners was looking at Karen Tan getting bombed in Band of Brothers saying, wow, that's a huge callback right there. Mm-hmm. They don't know if they're going to get killed. They don't know if they're going to survive. But they did just survive their day of day. So it just it just goes on. And that that's the callback that you've been, that you were desperately asking for. Yeah. Uh, but that's the end of episode two. That's a quick synopsis. With not too many, too many uh, spoilers. No, and uh, obviously, like you know, as of right now, like you know, this, I guess to kind of like finish off what we liked about the show, um, characters are great. I think the actors are doing a fantastic job of each of the characters. I, you know, they haven't really developed the villain yet, which I, I'm sure we're gonna see a villain come in, like a you know, like a lieutenant, yeah. like, like a lieutenant Dyke or somebody. Like I'm sure they're oh. gonna write in a character like that. Uh, I thought you were talking about like the Germans who yeah. are the villain. No, but <laughs> well, I, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see um, a, the the um, in classic like also fashion with the intros of these shows. There is a spoiler within the intro of that there will be a captive, like a cap, like somebody being captured um, and being a POW of the German army. So, uh, yep. Uh, well, it looked, I think it was uh, Egan. It might be, yeah. So yeah. we're we're gonna see how you know this because obviously this is gonna go more. Put their 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 fight will carry in further into Europe as the war goes on. Now it's also yeah. only nine episodes too. Um, only nine episodes. There, uh, the other mention is they're probably gonna have this, well, no, they are. There, there's a lot of showing in that intro with the Tuskegee Airmen. And we're not uh, even, and we're not even at D-Day yet. So. Yeah. We'll we'll see. Yeah, so we'll see where like for all I mean for all I know this could well, I mean if we have captured bombers in somewhere in like you know probably like I mean there was snow so it's probably like Belgium or something like that. Um, we'll see how you know the rest of the story goes and what transpires and everything. But 
I like the characters. I like the story. I like some of the practical. I, I like the practical effects. Like the practical yeah. effects are like you know uh, guys. Getting, I do guys getting hits and uh -huh. a lot of the live like a lot of the live shots of them. I think it was shot on site in England. Um, looked great. I do like the uh, the the some of the real aircraft that you see on the ground. Yeah, yeah. and some of the real trucks. So uh, that, that 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 leads us into our what we don't like. <laughs> so for um, me, for me and Josh, I think can us a little to this as well. Is that I think we all understand that, especially to do air combat. CGI has to be involved. There's no doubt about that. There's no getting, especially with World War II aircraft. It's not like going to be like Top Gun where we're going to go into a hangar and get signed a contract with the Navy and get a hangar of F 18s to fly out into, you know, shots and get these shots because, you know, we don't have a flight of freaking, we don't have a, a bunch of uh, flying fortress B 17s to take up into the air and shoot these shots. And I get that, you know, I can respect that. Um, but I, what, I, what I know though is, is that there are plenty of fantastic CGI shots out there of of flights. Top Gun's another example. There's CGI shots of an F-14 and 5th Gen fighters in that movie that look just as real as the real shots of the F-18s. They look fantastic. Midway. Midway. Fake CGI uh, Corsairs with fake um, aircraft carriers. They, they all, and like yes, they're CGI, but they look good. It's smooth shots, everything like that. As well as uh, devotion and devotion, even devotion. I don't devotion. know what Apple had, what they wanted to do on like trying to sell these shots. But essentially, first of all, the shots look like that everything is shot in front of a <laughs> like a grain, a, a, a grain screen. Like nothing. A green screen. Yeah, like not like, a green screen. Not a green screen. Like it, like like there's shot. Like there's very clear shots in every single scene in this movie that are complete, 100 percent animated, gen generated shots. Like holy shit. Yep. Landings. The crosswind landing to start with one. Yeah, uh, it, it's literally the the. It's not like that they could have just like taken like a pan shot of like the ocean uh, and like the strip of airway that's off the coast of Greenland and try to and try to then put the planes into that shot like they did in Top Gun. They instead just generate the entire freaking scene. Like this movie essentially is mix of like live action and Call of Duty cutscenes. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't... I, I understand there's not a lot of flying B-17s out there. There wasn't a crash a couple years ago with a P-56 oh, or I something. I remember that. that was with a... the B-17, yeah. which was shocking. But, like, come on, man. Like, you can't... I, you can't just model one B-17. Or if, if there is a flying B-17 that you can use to just, just one over and over for shots... Like you, you have one there. There's clearly a real B-17 as a prop, a set or a set piece at my um, at the fucking at the fucking set um, there, that there, they use. There's just so many shots in this where you know that you're looking into a a tube of them just shaking in a tube, and then yeah. like it they, looks, but it looks fantastic. I'll give them that. Yeah, when so, they're doing that. 
But then, like, those shots where, like, the plane is literally, like, skating across the screen. Like, I don't know if you ever caught those shots, but, like, there were shots on there where, it looked like, the plane was literally skating across the screen. Like, it wasn't, like, gliding. It wasn't, you know, like, trying to redirect or anything. Like, it was literally, like, skating across the screen. Yeah. And I'm just, anytime, like... Anytime the aircraft was close to the ground, it was evident that <laughs> the greens, that it was a CGI'd aircraft. And yes, it did skate across the scene. And to be to give you another example of it doing it was the crash landing in episode one of the B seventeen mm-hmm. doing a belly landing. Yeah, that lit that shit looked like crap. Yeah, like it it landed the when they did the close up shots inside the aircraft, it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. When you did the outside, <laughs> it looked like shit. And... and when the aircraft came to a stop, it looked like a fucking real plane because it looks like they built a real plane and used it as the set piece. And I know for a fact that Apple has the studios, has a great CGI studio because they have great shows that great CGI like Silo. There's a, there's a movie that came out with Idris Elba in it. uh, I think called hijack. Um, And then of course, I guess Josh can speak to Greyhound. I don't know if the CGI. I, I have stated that Greyhound, was fucking amazing. Yeah. It was a great World War II film, but I will give him the credit. The CGI in some of the scenes looked like absolute dog shit. But it was a great film. So, I and like I'm not asking for like a hundred percent practical effects because I know it's not possible. I know it's not. But you can't also say it's like, oh it's World War II, it's tough to do it. Like literally a freaking mid budget movie called Midway did it 10 times better than what I've seen in the show so far. Midway was a mid-budget movie? I feel like it was. I mean, it's, I mean, it had Dennis Quaid in it, but he also had uh, Woody Dude, Harrelson in cast, it, too. Yeah, the, the fucking cast on that movie was fucking huge. No, I find, I'm going to find out the budget on that. That was movie. a $100 million movie, Saber. That's not a, that's not a uh, that's mid-budget pretty, That's film. mid-budget for this, for, this, for this day and age. That's either, that's that's less than what it cost to make the Pacific. Yeah, either way, well, the well, the Pacific was a was another monster that uh that took up. But either way, the fucking CGI on this one looks like dog shit. Anytime the aircraft is near the ground via takeoff or landing, it looks like shit. Every oh. fucking thing oh. looks like shit. I hate this movie. But Pearl Harbor's freaking shots look way ten times better. Well, they use practical effects too. Yeah, but uh, but uh, but here, here's here's the kicker, Saber. Remember, mm-hmm. this is a nine episode series. Mm-hmm. Um, Midway was a hundred million dollars to make. Mm-hmm. Masters of the Air is a whopping two hundred and fifty million dollar budget. I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm pissed. I'm so, pissed. I'm pissed so, because yeah. I know that's not going to like stage effects because the 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 little amount of like live shots of like because literally like half these scenes could be used on the same stage that they shoot these on. If we're talking like any of the indoor shots, because there's some indoor shots, obviously like there's a bar, there's barracks and stuff like that. I guarantee you, half those shots are shot on the same exact stage. And I'll tell you another thing, Greyhound, which I think looks better than this movie. Or this show was fifty point three million dollars, and I think it looks way better than this when they're close to the ground. But I'm gonna give them where credit is due, where the aircraft do make their fucking money. 
anytime there's a wide shot or shows the entire aircraft not bits and pieces sometimes it looks a little wonky when it's bits and pieces mm-hmm. um of the aircraft in the air <laughs> pun intended whether the masters of the air um it looks fantastic i will give them that every single time to me when the aircraft is in the air in the clouds it looks great especially in those wide formations oh yeah that's where i think it can float in the air because it's literally floating in the fucking air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's just where where I draw the line was because, well, they're aircraft. They should be flying and they should look good in the air. The other stuff where it comes practical when they're getting shot up in the air and they're showing them, that looks good too. Mm-hmm. Anytime where fucking any of the, the, the set pieces are destroyed, that looks good. It's just, man, that CGI. It's bad, dude. It's yeah. so... So incredibly bad. Like I, yeah. I wish sometimes I just like I wish like for like I'm, whenever our main characters are like in their in their plane for at least that to be one giant model that they could have built and onto a green screen set and just work with that because at least the focal shot looks good, but everything CGI like like everything down to even the sky that they're flying in is animated. Yeah. I mean, the taxi scenes look... There's only, like, one B-17 I think they have, and it does taxi, because you do... You can tell when one of the real B-17s is there. Yeah. yeah. But once that fucking plane gets ready to take off, it's CGI. Hell, the shots of the C-47s of Banner Brothers looked freaking better than that. Well, there were three real C-47s, and they just reused the same shots. Well, the I'm talking about the nighttime airdrop scene for the first episode, or for the second, second, third episode. It was the second episode. Yeah, second. It was it was three fucking planes that they just they just fucking repacked them all over the place. Was copy and paste. That's what it was. Yeah, that's why it looked fucking amazing because all they did was copy a real fucking plane and just threw it all over the place and really focused on the real fucking plane for each shot <laughs> I, I just i just don't understand why people like and still in this day and age it's 2024 and studios still can't figure out you know what like there's there's always studios that do cgi great and then there's studios that just like decide like yeah i'm gonna ignore the way they did cgi i'm gonna do my own way and try to reinvent it and then it just ends up looking like crap yeah but Luckily, this is only this is only two episodes in too. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh. now where I'm gonna get really nervous is of how much of CGI they're gonna use because I'm not gonna lie, the train scene of in the in the credit in like the intro credits of them being loaded up into the trains looks a little fake. It looks really a little fake. fake. So as <laughs> a train scene, I didn't yeah, even notice that the fucking the P- when uh, they're getting captured, you know they oh the POW scene yeah, probably P- yeah. And I'm I'm nervous because Banner Brothers, for example, they sh- like. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if they were to remake Banner Brothers today, it would be shot on. If we're talking about like the Bastogne scene, I guarantee you, it would have been shot on a green screen platform, a giant green screen platform with fake freaking trees everywhere, and that's what have been the shot. And instead of instead of what it was actually shot which yeah, is a and stage as giant hangar with with fake snow and paper mache trees that and it worked amazing it looks freaking beautiful <laughs> yeah <laughs> but 
that that we digress because we will we will go on a tangent talking about how shitty that CGI looked. But everything that, else, that is huh? that is my only gripe of the show. I was about to say, like, yeah. aside from that, the show is great. Yep, everything else was great. I I I like the acting. Mm-hmm. I think I think the cast was a great choice of of actors. Um, I found out that one of the actors is Jude Law's son, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. I didn't know. His, his son was acting, and he does a pretty good job of the minimal scenes that we've seen him in. But he's going to play, a, a, I'm assuming, a major character because he's a mechanic, and, and man, do they have to fix some fucking holes. Yeah. Holy I, crap. I will, I will I, like, I don't think, like, anybody ever realized that essentially the B-17s that finished the war weren't even their, like, in their original shape. No. Like, Everything was probably replaced. Every single panel was probably end- ended up getting replaced. Even down to the freaking cockpit windshields were probably replaced. Yep. Uh, each each time a B seventeen went up, it was it's a miracle it came back down. That's what I would say of how those hunk of junks flew. Because remember, any military quality is the best quality. Mm. If you if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, does uh, those B seventeens? Fuck, man, when they're the, I this is the first honest description of a modern film mm-hmm. that showed what real flak damage is. You you see in other movies the big black puffs of right. flak, but you don't really know what those flak is, and we'll probably never know what real flak is. I hope to God I will never know what real flak is. Oh, um, that's another CGI shot that I freaking I thought was disgusting was when they went to the ground to the ground troops of the German of ar- the German army using the flat cannons. That was a hideous shot. That oh, was... when it when it zoomed out because the first when they were using the real fucking eighty eight, that looked great. But when they did the replication of them, yeah, that looked like shit. Well, on top because on the uh, when they did the replication shot, they also CGI the freaking guys on the ground too, and you could tell like it was just. It was ugly. It was absolutely ugly because yeah. they used that fake smoke effect that's used in CGI all the time now. That that, that it like was. Looks like, I was yeah. Like, but but it was kind of cool seeing a, a, a real eighty-eight get shot with or whatever fucking thing they loaded it or a paper mache eighty-eight. I don't know how that shit worked. I will. Huh. I what. I was just looking at the trivia on IMDb. I guess these guys actually went through a two-week boot camp, just like uh, Band of Brothers did. Was it led led by Dale Dye? It was led by Dale Dye. <laughs> That's funny. That's a- Dale Dye has done all three uh, fucking <laughs> That's a- series with the, with these guys. That's oh, awesome. Man. I mean, I think is that these guys are gonna have good chemistry. So, yeah. I mean, I, that, I mean, that's one thing. I like. That's one thing I, 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 I'm crediting the show already with is the chemistry with the characters. It's something I just did not feel in the Pacific. Um, yeah, hey, I felt it. And, you know, I think that the acting of this show is going to carry it all the way through, um, especially if the CGI stays the way it is. Um, now, you can also be that person, too, who you don't care about CGI. You know CGI is going to be fake and whatnot. Um, and this guy. That's you know that's you, um, but when you've also had CGI standards of like the Marvel movies and the Marvel TV shows, I mean heck the heck, but I mean one of my favorite shows I watched from at least this new generation of Marvel was um, uh, Captain America, um, or sorry no uh, uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier, and the CGI on it that looked good, that looked really good. 
Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, or even uh, like... Or, they look or, like shit in fucking She-Hulk. Do you know what movie, to me, has the best use of CGI mixed in with a nice, cinematic, gritty feel? I swear to God, if they Top Gun, I'll be fucking pissed. No, Logan. Oh, yeah. I'll give him that. Logan, I think, is very underrated for... I, I, I don't think underrated, but just not recognized as much for their amazing work with CGI. Like, you had a Logan clone talking to another Logan in a very good well done cross like shot like it wasn't like a back and forth shot like they were literally walking and fighting each other and it was very well done like you could not tell it was a fake it was ever like done fake so um yeah. anyway yeah that's i i've been that we're we're gonna go down to do something we're gonna do for every episode if you continue to listen to us talk about masters of the year is our rating of each episode it's gonna be out of uh, i'm gonna say about 10 mm-hmm. you know, 10's a 10 Ten's really good, one's really bad, and I'll let Kevin take away his episode one, then episode two. Okay. And uh, so my episode one rating, um, I'm gonna have to get this one like a seven eight. The reason why 7, is seven point five. Se- no, seven eight, seven point eight. The reason oh, why 7. the reason why I gave it seven point eight is that the initial it didn't grab me instantly. I wasn't really hooked onto it. They're swinging in a bar, you know. It, it's like I'm here to watch a war show. I'm not here to watch a drama series or like a like a rom- like a romance show or anything like that. So them opening up to the shots of them in a bar swinging, dancing with girls and stuff like that, it didn't grab me instantly. Um, uh, of course, story opened up very well. After that, um, I started yeah. to click more with Buck and Bucky, you know, um, and. Overall, enjoyed it. Episode two, then I give that probably like, uh, you know, and also this is, I'm taking out the factor of CGI too. I would give episode two probably like, a, I think I would probably give episode two like, a, I'll give it an 8.7. 8.7? Oh. Yeah, I think, I think 8 points, I think the second episode definitely did a lot better on. And building off, building off the uh, characters and their chemistry with each other, uh, you uh, found a new, a new favorite character that everybody's rooting for now with uh, freaking Lieutenant uh, uh, Crosby, and uh, and you know you have good fun with like uh, Lieutenant Biddick crashing in Scotland, and uh, you know overall a very very well put together episode showing off a very successful bombing mission and st- like really building off of the you know the chemistry between these guys and showing them like the the brotherhood of being in the army and so yep. that's my that's my ratings on those two episodes 7.8 and an 8.7 so for mine i will go with just a solid seven for mm-hmm. episode one mm-hmm. uh i don't i didn't really care about the beginning of, of the scene yeah they they did some extra character development for both Buck and Bucky. Uh, I did not care too much about any of the lead up to it. Yeah, it's just it's all introduction. I get it. Uh, but man, did that first mission carry the fucking weight mm-hmm. at the very end of the episode? So absolutely, that's that's what I, I I mean. As you can tell from my from myself, I'm like big explosions and. Oh, man, they didn't shy away from that, and that mm-hmm. was that was pretty fucking cool. Yep, uh, fucked up, <laughs> but that's war for you. Uh, episode two, I would also it was a lot better than the first episode. 
it it did have a successful mission. And on top of that, Lieutenant Crosby, uh, who vomits a lot because he gets airsick all the time, led his air group to be successful and gets promoted. Um, I give that at least an eight. Um, I'm not going to go any point numbers. I'm not crazy like Kevin. Um, I've been watching but, too much Barstool. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I I am not disappointed. They have, These five years waiting has has been actually pretty good. They did not disappoint coming out with this show. I'm looking forward mm. to the next six, uh, seven episodes I can count. I will be purchasing weekly. the box set. If, if they, they, they release do. a box set. Yeah. I hope they do. They need to keep yeah. that trend alive. Give me a box set, all right? Yeah, I mean, I have I have the Band of Brothers and Pacific Blu-rays. Closest I'm going to get. They, but They need to re- release a 4K version of that. Yeah, well, there's, we're still talking about these shows to this day. So I hope my hope is that Masters of the Air does become a classic. It's not a lot of modern television shows are able to do that. And for them to do a B-17 flying fortress show with those cramped conditions showing off these characters i i'm i'm impressed so far that's impressive absolutely um but other than that this has pretty much been the unqualified uh podcast we don't know anything about fucking show showmanship we don't know anything about the military because none of us have been in the military uh but we do know is one we're we're not qualified to talk about all this crap, but we will talk about it anyways. Yes, sir. Saber, so. do you have anything to uh, add? Um, no, other than if you also feel you're unqualified too, but just like to talk about things, feel free to um, either hop into the Discord. We run this as a staged event that you can come and listen in on it and join the discussion too in the chat. Um, and possibly we will be turning to returning to live streaming uh, if it seems to be necessary. Uh, yep. but- we'll get better at this as we move along. It's only, what, episode... Uh, eighty-seven. Yeah, we'll call this an official episode one. How about that again? Well, yeah, we'll do this episode one. Masters of Masters of Trouble. Yeah, all right. My son seems to be getting a little bit cranky right now, so we're gonna wrap this up. You guys, thank you for everybody for uh, listening, and you guys have a great rest of your. uh, Go watch the show. You know, enjoy it. All right, let's go with.